Jesus is going to feed the crowd, but he's inviting the disciples, you can come and join me with what I'm doing. Jesus is going to share with them, this is what I'm doing, come and join me. Which by the way, that's the only way that God's people ever do any true ministry, is by joining God in what God is doing. But don't we so often get that backwards? Verse 40, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. So he looks up into heaven, he proclaims this blessing. It would have been probably a standard Jewish blessing, nothing out of the ordinary there. The standard Jewish blessing of the day went like this. Praise be to you, O Lord, our God, who makes bread to come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you've created. Isn't that an appropriate prayer? Praise be to you. You are the one who makes bread come from the earth in order to provide for all that you've created. And so he looks up to heaven and he says this blessing, but let's not miss this point. Why do you think Mark said he looked up? Do you think that that's just in there by coincidence? We've learned to say no, right? There's nothing in there by coincidence. Why do you think Mark said he looked up? Was it because Jesus did something different? Well, because the people saw Jesus looking up to pray and they say, nobody looks up to pray. No, everybody looked up to pray. The the Jewish man looked up to say the blessing over the food. So Jesus did nothing abnormal. What he did was completely normal. What's not so normal is the fact that Mark draws attention to it. Why does he draw attention to it? Because this is the whole point. The point is look up instead of to yourself. Look to him to meet this need. Don't look within yourselves, look to Him. Look up, don't look within yourselves, look to God. Because God specializes in doing what we deem to be impossible. In fact, we can go further to say that God leads us into the impossible in order for Him to be seen as the God who does the impossible on our behalf when we look to Him to do it. This is why Jesus looks up. I mean, he looks up because Jews look up to pray. But this is why Mark says this as further emphasis. This is what Jesus is teaching. Look to the Father. Don't look to yourself. God will lead us into these impossible situations to test us, to see will we look to Him or will we look to ourselves. Let me share a story with us. Uh, we, We... in our church, we, we have had a number of opportunities to meet some large and some profound needs of, of some people within our church and some people with, with, uh, not within our church. But all of those instances, we have met all of those needs with something we already had. In every situation, we have met a need. God has led us to give, and we've always done it out of what we have. I can recall two instances in which I was part of a situation which God led a need to be met, and the resources to meet the need we didn't have. One of them was in a previous church, our previous church, and we were were led, we felt, to... uh, There was a a church planter in Chicago, planting a church in Chicago. We, We were supporting this church planter, and his house needed a new roof. We were led to help him with that, or we so we thought. And we had about $2,500, and we said, 
let's, let's send this to this church planter in Chicago. But then we said, wait a minute. His new roof is going to be about $8,000. Let's give him a whole new roof. And so we committed to doing that without the funds to do it, and the funds came quickly and easily. It wasn't a struggle. But let me just share another instance in which I was uh, indirectly a part of this. It was an instance in which a church was led to meet a need. It was a specific need for which the resources were not available. This was when we lived in Colorado. The church that we were part of there in Colorado was, was a church that supported about, uh, I don't know, maybe a dozen missionaries, overseas missionaries. And those missionaries, you know how it works for missionaries. They will come home for furlough and there'll be a period of a few months. And in those few months, they don't have a house. And so they have to stay somewhere. And so there's uh, churches that maybe have missionary houses or halfway houses. Well, we were led, since, since we were a church that had about 12 missionaries in foreign countries, and we frequently had missionaries coming, we were led to uh, endeavor to seek to purchase a missionary house for these missionaries to stay in for weeks or months at a time, whatever the need was. And it just so happened that right after that burden, so to speak, that, that desire being implanted into the leaders of this church, there came available a condominium that was, well, this was in Colorado, in central Colorado, in a place where, you know how the real estate market recently here has gotten kind of crazy and there's not enough real estate for people to buy? It's always been like that in Colorado. And so we were, there wasn't a lot of real estate. There wasn't a lot of purchase opportunities. But there came this condominium, and it wasn't just a condominium, it was the perfect condominium. Because the parking lot of this condominium literally touched the parking lot of the church. It was perfect. Perfect size, everything. Good shape. And I think the price, I, I was thinking back, I think it was like $140,000. But we, we, this came on the market. We felt, the, this church felt the need to purchase this. And here comes this condominium available. And we prayed about it. The people talked about it. And we committed to buy that condominium having about $50,000 available to us to put towards that. The price was one hundred and forty. So we did this real estate contract. We entered into contract, and the, the church was led to enter into the contract. I think the closing was something like five or six weeks away. We, we entered into the contract having 50000 of the 140000 needed to close, and the church committed to no loans. There were, we didn't apply for any loans, uh, didn't seek financing in any way. We're going to pay cash. So we started this fundraising thing. You know how that goes. And money started pouring in, and it went from 50000 60000 70000 Next thing you know is 90000 95000 And then it broached over 100000 It got to about a hundred, just short of 110000 So we were about $30,000 short, and closing was something like a week away. And we'd applied for no loans. Plus, there was a contingent offer on the property so that if closing, the closing day came and we didn't have the cash, all the cash, then there was a contingency offer already in place, meaning that somebody else had the property after that. So we were still $30,000 plus within a week of closing. Now, this church in Colorado, we were in the central part of Colorado, so we were 10,000 feet above sea level, long winters, lots and lots of snow, so a lot of people, wealthy people, I should say, would live in Texas 
for the winter and then live in the high country of Colorado for the summer. And so this particular church had a lot of half-time members that were there for the summer. And it just so happened that all this was taking place in the winter when a large portion of our people were in Texas for the, the Texas winter. And uh, my wife can vouch for the story. The story goes like this, that the closing date was approaching and literally, I'm not making this up, the day before closing, we were still $30,000 short. And they go to the post office and they open the post office box. And in the post office box was a letter from a Texas resident member who hadn't been to the church since the whole thing started. And in the letter, the letter read something like this. I'll paraphrase. I was praying and God brought Rocky Mountain Bible Church to my mind. And he put on my heart to send you this check. And in the envelope was a check, I kid you not, to within a dollar. The day before closing. That is God placing on a church a need and the church looking to Him first before it looks to what you have. God has blessed us tremendously and He has allowed us to meet many needs. But this is just an encouragement to say, you know what? There's something more out there. Pray that God would place upon our hearts a need He wants to meet that exceeds what we have. That we might do not as the disciples did, which is to say, what do we got? What do we got? Let's look around. Let's take an inventory. What's, what's the balance? How many loaves and fishes do we have? Instead, look first to Him and say, Lord, is this of You? If it is, it doesn't matter if we have five cents in the bank or $500,000. It matters not. If it's of Him, all the resources in the world are His. This is the central point. He wants the disciples to look to Him first. You give them something to eat. I just empowered you to do that. Look to Him first. He looks up to heaven. He breaks the loaves and He gave it to the disciples to set before the people and they div He divided the two fish among them. Now somewhere in that phrase there, He broke the, le the loaves, gave it to the disciples to set before the people and He divided the two. Somewhere in there is the miracle. I'm not exactly sure where, but it's somewhere in that between the He spoke the blessing, He broke it, gave it, somewhere in there. There's a clue in, in the sense that th that's a long string of verbs there. Taking the five loaves, looked to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave to the disciples, divided it before them. There's a long string of verbs there. All of them are in the aorist tense. Now the aorist tense just simply means something that happened instantaneously and it was done. All of them are in that tense except for one, and the verb is give, which is in the imperfect. So literally, he broke, he said the blessing, looked to heaven, broke, and then gave and kept on giving and kept on giving and kept on giving and kept on giving. Maybe that's a clue. He broke the bread, and then the miracle comes as he's, he's just giving and giving. There was one breaking and then an extended giving. It brings to my mind... 
the cross. I don't know, maybe is this a connection that's too far to make? But I don't think so. It brings to my mind the cross. One act of breaking and then all of the giving for all who come. Jesus is not rebroken on the cross. Jesus is not rebroken each time a sinner comes to Him. and re- He was broken once. And the giving and the giving and the giving continues on. And verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. That's the most beautiful statement of the passage. They all ate and they were satisfied. Mark never mentions his typical thing. Mark always likes to mention the astonishment of the crowd. Everyone was astonished. Everyone was amazed. Mark doesn't mention that here, probably because most of the people didn't realize it was a miracle. They just were hungry and Jesus was passing out food. And they didn't realize where this food was coming from. But nevertheless, Jesus here is creating food from nothing. Jesus didn't need the the starter loaves and the starter fish. He's creating the food from nothing, just as He created all things from nothing. And notice what He created. Jesus didn't create wheat and say, here's some wheat, go pound it into, into some grain and make some dough and bakes. He didn't create raw dough. He created baked bread. He didn't create fish eggs and say, oh, I just created some fish for you in the the sea right there. Go catch them real quick. We'll pass them out to the people. Kind of like that when you throw the net on the other side sort of thing and all the the, the net's full of fish. Go do that. Jesus didn't say that. He created bread that was baked and ready to be eaten and fish that were mature and ready to be eaten, prepared, broiled or, or, or stewed or however they prepared, they were ready to be eaten. Now, we're not told this, but I think back to John chapter 2. Remember the, the water turned to wine miracle? And how Jesus created the wine, but it wasn't just any old wine. Everybody came and said, this is the best wine we've ever had. Maybe this is the same thing. Maybe the people are eating and everybody, there's all these little conversations taking place. Wow, this is really good bread. Have you ever had bread this good? This fish is scrumptious. How did they make this fish? You think maybe? So they all ate and they were all satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken fish or broken pieces in of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were were 5,000 men. So it's not ironic. It's not coincidence. 12 baskets left over, 12, 12 disciples, 12 apostles. I take it to be that this is the apostle. This will be the apostles lunch for the next few days. So the point there is easy to see. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All these things will be taken care of. You won't, be hung- you won't be hungry. You won't go without. You won't be hungry because you gave yourself to the service of God. But they took up these 12 baskets of broken pieces and of the fish. And if Jesus takes all this care to, pick, to take up even the broken pieces of bread, to take up just the broken pieces, if Jesus cares about picking up broken pieces of bread, is there anything in your life that He doesn't care about? If he doesn't waste even the broken pieces of miracle bread, is there anything in your life that he overlooks? Is there anything in your life that he misses? But lastly, they all ate and they were all satisfied. All four gospel accounts include that detail that they didn't just make do until they got home. You know, like you tell your kids, just just get a little, I'll get you some crackers till we get home. Let's just make it till we get home. They left satisfied. 
Now, what does that mean? I think that what that is saying to us is that all who came to Jesus on that day got what they came for. Because the crowd is comprised of people who are Jesus' true called out followers. It's also comprised of those who are just seeking to have their curiosity satisfied. Reminds me of the manna. You remember the story of the manna? Where we're told that some gathered much, some gathered, gathered little, but when they ate, everybody had enough. All who came got what they came for. All who, they, all who came were satisfied. That says something to me about the proclamation of God's Word. In this room are a variety of needs. In this room are a variety of backstories and problems that you brought in here with you. I have no way of knowing those. I might be aware of one or two. I have no way of knowing all the complexities of what's going on in your life. But you know what? Somehow the proclamation of God's Word just always seems to meet that need. Usually when I'm not even aware of it. I can't count the number of times that I have preached a message. Afterwards, someone came to me, sometimes in tears, to say, that was just what I needed to hear. You just have no idea. When, when you said this, and, and you said this, that was just what I needed to hear. And I thought, I didn't say that. That's not an example of somebody dozing off and maybe got an earbud in their ear and hearing somebody else. That's an example of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the living Word of God that says to you, as the proclaimer of God's Word, I don't have to know all of your problems to apply God's Word to it. Because His Word is living and active, written by the Spirit, who is Himself the one who implants that into your heart. And so all who came got their satisfaction in the same way that all of God's people who come to the proclamation of His Word also get what you need.